0: Welcome, everybody. It's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of our podcast series launched at the United Nations Department of Peace Operations. My name is David Hyrie and I'm the Director for Policy Evaluation and Training at the Department of Peace Operations. Together with my peacekeeping colleagues, we want to take you on a journey through different UN peacekeeping operations around the world to explore how COVID-19 and the pandemic has affected them and the countries where they're deployed. So I'm very pleased to introduce today's guest, Ms. Barry Lynn Freeman, Unmix Deputy Special Representative of the Secretary General. Until her appointment, Ms. Freeman had been serving as Political Director and Deputy Head of the Peacebuilding Support Office in the Department of Political and Peacebuilding Affairs of the United Nations in New York. Ms. Freeman also held the position of Chief of Staff and, before that, Director of Political Affairs of the United Nations Multidimensional Integrated Stabilization Mission in the Central African Republic, or MINUSCA. And that all comes on the top of a very distinguished and varied career in international relations. So DSRSG Freeman, we're delighted to have you here with us today, and thank you so much for agreeing to join us.
1: Well, David thank you very much for the introduction and the and the warm welcome to this podcast. I'm very pleased to be here
0: great thank you um, thank you very much. What was your personal experience?
1: I was really fortunate. I came here in February of last year. You know i think i had just great staff here who made me you know feel very welcome even though for most of that those early months i was working from home like everybody else um i think you know i was i think all of us to some extent you know are are are, suffering from a little bit of post-traumatic stress syndrome. I know coming from New York and, you know, you all were there. I mean, it was it was really quite difficult. I mean, that first year, particularly those early yes. months, I can remember balancing, you know, trying to figure out how to work from home and doing all those meetings with always, you know, every day watching the The governors, the then governors, I would say, you know, daily press conferences and where we went days and days where the death toll in New York was 700, 800, you know, and then the worries for friends and family, the worries about how we were going to keep ourselves safe. So, I mean, I think that was. Um, it was hard. And then I think the hard part about moving in a pandemic, and I, I know this is the case for colleagues in other missions as well, is that, you know, we're in a people business and and that people business means, you know, we need to build and maintain contacts with a wide range of actors, not so easy to do in a pandemic. I think, you know, we all know the the toll of the, you know, the online meetings, they can be very draining and, you know, I think you miss that personal connection, you miss you know I, I used to say you know the the business that happens in the corridors you know right. or the coffee that people go for after a meeting you know i think that's that's all missing and I, and I think it was hard it was hard for me to build my contacts outside the mission and get to know people in the mission
0: maybe this is a good segue to the life of the mission and how you saw the COVID 19 pandemic affect the activities of unmic what did, what do you think the greatest challenge it posed was
1: the biggest challenge you know was really this maintaining building and maintaining that network of relationships that we need to continue to you know fulfill our mandate we you know the mission because of the declaration of independence you know the unmic i i sometimes i i say with kind of a smile, but not really a smile in the hierarchy of international organizations in Kosovo. We are at the bottom. We are a reminder to Kosovo that, you know, they are not a member of the UN. I mean, I I, I think peacekeeping missions everywhere become scapegoats because the presence of a peacekeeping mission means there's something wrong. But, you know, to, to overcome that stigma of many countries you know who are represented in Kosovo and Kosovo itself which will regularly tell us we think the mission should close you know to to counter that narrative you've got to be in there talking to people so you've got to spend time with them oh it just lost electricity okay Okay, Uh, let's see
0: so just that was that was the electricity going out in your in your building was it Yes, there so yes. a little flavour for those who are listening of the of life in, uh, in a mission environment. So, uh, DSRSG's Freeman's uh, her lights just went out completely. So uh, now they're back. So please continue. You were just talking uh, about the, the 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 role of the mission in Kosovo and the standing, etc.
1: So I think I was saying that challenge of of people not being able to have those daily interactions that are really the bread and butter of the mission, but nevertheless we were able to continue to fulfil our reporting and analysis function. This is to inform the Security Council of the work of UNMIC and the political environment through our biannual Secretary General reports and our biannual meetings in the Security Council. And we were able to do that. I think uh, as well, we have a small amount of programmatic uh, activity funding, the smaller, probably the smallest of any mission, But I think we're very proud that we actually do spend that full budget every year um, and we were able to continue delivering in that regard as well. And more importantly, to be able to shift very quickly some of our, our projects to um, with that COVID lens. I mean, we ended up ultimately even providing humanitarian support in some communities where the disadvantaged, particularly non majority communities, um, we very much in, in need of really basic food and hygiene packs. We were able to, to mobilize and, and, and get things like that to, uh, uh, out there working very closely with our UN Kosovo team partners. Um, we also funded multi-ethnic groups of young people to make masks and, and face shields. So, you know, we were able to, uh, to adapt.
0: That's so interesting. So, how how was that experience of of shifting those priorities, and um, how was that done in the context of having to be remote? What were some of the synergies that, um, that you were talking about working with the with the the UN team, um, the UN Kosovo team? Uh, what were some of the good practices, uh, perhaps, or the synergies that came out of that experience of working together?
1: You know, I think it was we really I think the pandemic has really brought the UN family together more broadly, you know, particularly I think that, you know, the secretary general has been so forceful in, you know, talking about, you know, things like vaccine uh, equity and, you know, building back better and, and building or rebuilding social contracts. And, you know, and I think UN staff around the world, whether in peacekeeping or in development, take this very seriously. Um, We have, we're not an integrated mission here, but we have an integrated strategic framework. And and I think that trying to figure out how to use our, our resources to best meet the challenges posed by the pandemic, I mean, it really just brought a sense of purpose to people. I think it was really quite important when you're in a terrible situation to be able to say, okay, I can do something, I can do something to help, um, but the modalities for that were just a lot of it online, and I mean we're fortunate in Kosovo despite the power disruptions. It's winter, and that's it's it's I think more common in winter, but Kosovo has the highest internet penetration um, in the in the Balkans. It's a very young population, very much wired, so. Um, so we were able to, you know, maintain, we do a lot of work at the municipal level and we could maintain those those contacts uh, virtually. And then I think, you know, people took advantage in the spring of 20 to spring and summer 2020 spring and summer of this past year to you know to try to do more bringing people together in outdoor venues but i think we were really seeing i think it was really helped our standing in kosovo that there was a sense that you know we were shifting you know the mission and our resources to do whatever we could to help the situation
0: Maybe we could move a little bit to the overall context of the the Kosovo authorities and their response to the question of uh, lockdowns, border closures. It'd be interesting maybe to hear what measures uh, the Kosovo authorities uh, took and what was the impact of those measures on both society and, and the mission.
1: That's a good question. I mean, Kosovo, as, you know, everywhere else in the world, need forced to take all kinds of different measures that then get changed or sometimes not so well respected. Mm. You know, I think they the Kosovo, and I wasn't here then, but I think immediately in March, April 2020, went into a full lockdown. And then they have, you know, gradually over these past two years, kind of gone up and down in terms of closing restaurants, closing public spaces, you know, imposing curfews. So, you know, we've had that whole mix of but you know, but always with a lot of uncertainty because it keeps changing. And I I would say that uncertainty I think is another stressor that we all share in this pandemic. But then in terms of impact, I mean, Kosovo is the poorest space in Europe or among the poorest spaces. And with a lot of people working in the informal economy, particularly people from the more marginalized or the non majority communities and you know, they were not they did not have access. I mean Kosovo, as in many other places, they did put together pack relief packages. But those but that relief to employees went to people who were registered as employees. And I, I was told early on that, you know, restaurants, for example, might have besides the owner, one registered employee. Mm. So so that was that was a challenge. I mean, I think that Kosovo has really suffered socioeconomic consequences in terms of job loss. And, you know, I think what has helped to, um, I think, get them through this time is that they have a very robust, committed diaspora. And, you know, I don't I don't know how this uh, I'm sure this has been tracked in other countries as well. But diaspora contributions or remittances actually in have increased during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been a big you know, that's, that's, that's also been a, a big plus. Uh, Kosovo's population is very young i think there was a lot of covid here early on but but a very low mortality rate which meant that in the ranking or in the prioritization of COVAX vaccines, which initially, Kosovo was completely dependent on the COVAX system, then later had developed some bilateral uh, agreements. But because of the low mortality rate, Kosovo was very low on the priority list to receive vaccines. And then of course with COVAX, then there was the slowdown because so many of those vaccines were coming from the Serum Institute of India. I mean, it was just so they were very slow to start vaccines. In that period, we were quite fortunate to be among one of the first peacekeeping missions to receive the donated AstraZeneca uh, for peacekeeping missions. So we were able to vaccinate not just ourselves in UNMIC, but also our UNKT colleagues and even some implementing partners. And we were also, and the bulk of our workforce are actually Kosovar. So we were able to vaccinate all of our Kosovar staff or everybody who wanted to be vaccinated, as well as their dependents. And it was that was also really appreciated. But then the the vaccine started rolling in and, uh, and then it was, yeah, and it was kind of surprising. Kosovo actually caught up and has surpassed others in the region in terms of vaccine acceptability, vaccine rates, but it's been a long, it's been a long slog like many other places. There's a lot of disinformation out there. There's a lot of, you know, rumors and, you know, just the, the, the fake news that really, um, I think, uh, helps feed vaccine hesitancy. But there, the UNKT, in particular, UNICEF, has, you know, been been supporting door-to-door campaigns to get to those last, you know, that last group of people who are still holding out on vaccines.
0: Yeah, you mentioned misinformation and disinformation. And um, what sort of impact has that had on both the country and and uh, the work of the mission, in uh, in terms of uh, of people's acceptance of vaccination or perhaps on other lines of conflict and interethnic tension
1: well i think there's you know there's this is a region that is always full of lots of unfortunately conspiracy theories and there's a lot of unfortunately hate speech that we're all trying to help address collectively as the un i don't think that that was exacerbated by the pandemic. I mean, definitely the rumors about, you know, what the vaccine can or can't do to you. I mean, we had to early on with our own staff countering the rumor that, you know, the vaccine would deliver the chip to your head Mm. but you know that was kind of a almost you know i many of us found that one almost laughable but but i think the more pernicious rumor is that uh the vaccines affect fertility and then we've seen in some parts of kosovo particularly women of childbearing age you know who are less inclined to get to get vaccinated um but then we also had um and early on we had a we had an incident which there was fake news early on in the pandemic that an unmixed staff member was patient 0 in Kosovo oh, really? and that was published in you know, official media actually and uh, but they but it was taken down when we when we you know complained and said look
0: this is not the case
1: but there was that tendency let's blame the peacekeeping mission that was the first instinct
0: yeah, that could have been actually uh, a real security threat as well if that had if that had spread. Yes,
1: yes, yes. But we were able to nip that in the bud. So,
0: um, Barry, you mentioned earlier how different, more marginalised parts of the population working in the informal economy had less access, for example, to government relief packages, uh, um, authorities relief pa- relief packages. How do you see the Im- impact um, of the pandemic playing out in terms of? exacerbating uh, tensions between different groups in 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 Kosovo and how how has the mission responded if indeed that's that's happened
1: well I think that the the situation was not great to start with. I think what we've seen exacerbated have been some of the, through the dialogue process, there were a number of signed agreements, including agreements on language use where, you know, information needs to be published. Public information needs to be published in both Albanian and Serbian languages. And under COVID that wasn't happening as much as, you know, that way. And then, then also, then we also have, there's a significant Roma community in. COVID plus Turkish-speaking communities, it was very difficult for them to access information on, on COVID. So we were able, again, through programmatic funding, we were able to help with that in terms of getting translation services up and running. I think, you know, there have been issues with access access to justice, because the court systems have really slowed down. But I think that's a worldwide worldwide problem. You know, we have also tried through things like the mask making, the face shield making projects to to bring communities together. These are projects um, it, of the mission. Yeah, yeah, I but see. we're not, you know. But other international organizations are are trying to do this too. So, you know, there is this hope that that actually coming out of the pandemic, people will see that they have more that unites them that than that divides them, and this will help in getting you know this dialogue process back on track. I mean, it's really slowed. I think the pandemic has been a factor in that. I mean, again, a dialogue process needs regular communication. You know, it needs people to build. Build, the people in the dialogue process need to build relationships and, as we've said, harder to do in a virtual setting.
0: Just to, uh, to, to close and on an open, open question, what do you think in terms of going forward would be lessons that you'd like us to take away? and see replicated across the UN? Maybe it's something we've already done well that we should remind ourselves or, or, or something you see as a, as a gap since this is all about learning lessons.
1: For me, I think one of the, the big issues is just that, you know, and as someone who came into the UN from the side later in life, you know, I've been struck by, it can be a very traditional hierarchical culture with people looking to leaders to always have the answer waiting to take action and tell the leader till he or she has spoken. I think if we can come out of this pandemic with a more with more inclusive management practices with this, you know, understanding that we've certainly been honest about it here and I say it all the time. Look, I don't as I said in the town hall earlier today, I don't have all the answers. You know, we don't know what the next months are going to look like really just i think bringing it's really for me it's it's bringing people together and building trust and i think That's happened through the pandemic, sometimes in fits and starts, but I think that's a a good way to go forward. And then I think just really trying to, you know, look at the lessons learned from these hybrid working models and and how do we take them forward? Because, you know, that's happening in private industry and governments around the world, you know, and the UN really should try to be, I think, at the forefront of, of getting this right for the future.
0: Well, DSRSG Freeman, I really want to thank you so much for um, your time and, and your enlightening reflections on what obviously has been a really challenging period, one which we're not yet out of for sure. Um, I also want to say thank you so much for your own role as a leader in, in UNMIC and, um, and, uh, and wish all the best to you and all of our colleagues in the mission in Kosovo.
1: Well, thank you, thank you, David. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It was a good opportunity for us to reflect on what we've done throughout the pandemic and to you know, really put down on paper you know, the, the areas where we've had success and the areas where we've had challenges. So this is a great exercise for us. And just to say thank you to you and your colleagues and really just wishing everyone well and, and hoping that we're gonna see the end of this pandemic soon. Thank you very much.